you are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church, please visit harvestbrampton.ca. God does love us. That song is true. And I think in the passage we're going to look at today, we're going to see that very clearly. So if you have a Bible, you can open to Isaiah 53. If you do not have a Bible, if you put your hand up, our ushers will give a Bible to you. And if you don't own a Bible, you can keep that. Now, Isaiah 53 is a very well-known passage in the Bible. Some people call it the servant song. And a long time ago, this passage was being read by the Ethiopian eunuch. Acts chapter 8 tells us he's riding home in his chariot, the car of the day, and he's got the, the scriptures open and he's reading. And as he reads Isaiah 53, he's gripped, so to speak, by what he reads. As he hears about this, this servant, this, this individual, he's, he's like, I got to know who this is. What is said there gets his attention, and so he's like, I need to find out. And so uh, Philip is with him. God sends Philip, and so Philip's with him, and he says to Philip, he says, is Isaiah talking about himself, or is he talking about someone else? Now, that's a common question that gets asked, and some people answer that by saying that Isaiah is actually talking about the people of Israel, because sometimes in the, in the book of Isaiah, the people of Israel, they're called servants. And some people answer it by saying that Isaiah is actually talking about himself. Because sometimes Isaiah is called servant in the book. But those answers don't work. And here's why. Because as we read what's happening in Isaiah 53, you start to realize that this servant is serving the people of Israel and he's serving Isaiah. So if the people are not the servant and Isaiah is not the servant then the question is, who is it? Well, Isaiah of Philip, sorry, answers that question for us. He responds to the eunuch in Acts 8, verse 35. It says, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scriptures. So he doesn't give him his opinion. It says he opens his mouth and he, he begins with the scriptures, the word of God. And, and he told him the good news about Jesus. See, seven Hundred years before it happened, Isaiah predicted that Jesus would come and that Jesus would live and that he would die for our sins. And the eunuch wouldn't have known this if God didn't send him help, if he didn't send him Philip. His eyes wouldn't have been opened to see the significance of this passage and to see who the passage was talking about and the significance of Easter. See, it's like a newborn infant. A newborn infant can't eat unless their parents help them. Unless the parent steps in and does something, they'll go hungry. And the way a parent steps in to help the child, God steps in here to help the eunuch. He opens his eyes. And the same way he opens the eunuch's eyes, he steps in and he opens our eyes. See, there's many people in this room and you are saved. And the reason why you're saved, we're going to see, is because God opened your eyes. And in opening our eyes and opening your eyes and my eyes, God stops us. He stops us from doing one thing we should never do. 
and he shows us a few things, a couple things that we need to know. So Isaiah 53, starting in verse 1, says, Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him. And no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. A man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. God, we thank you for your word. God, we thank you that everything in your word is true. God, we thank you that your word tells us who we are, but it also tells us what you have done for us. And God, I, I pray that you would open eyes, Lord, today for that person who has not trusted in Christ. Would you open their eyes, Lord? You can do it, so would you? And God, for the person whose eyes has been opened, Lord, I pray that we would be sobered and thankful for what Jesus did for us on the cross. And so I pray you would help me to teach your word clearly and accurately for the good of your people. Would you lead us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Point number one, God opens our eyes to stop us from rejecting Jesus. Verse 1 says, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. So Isaiah starts the with a question. He says, who has believed the reports? Who has believed what they have heard about Jesus? Now he asked this because the reality is not many people have believed. Not many people have believed what they have heard. See, Isaiah is not expecting that a, a whole bunch of hands are going to go up when he asks this question. See, there was a large lack of belief. When he came to earth, there was a large lack of belief in Jesus Isaiah says that he was one from whom men hide their faces. See, on basic observation alone, people were not that impressed with Jesus. They weren't like, yo, Jesus, can we get a selfie together? They weren't running up to him, impressed by him. It says he grew up like a root out of dry ground. That's a tree that doesn't sound like it, have much, it has much chance of survival. That he had no majesty or beauty that we should desire him. See, the people saw nothing special about the appearance of Jesus. His demeanor, his style bothered them. The way Jesus talked about life and looked at life, the way he talked about money, lust, 
fame, marriage, forgiveness, pride, leadership, service, bothered the people. Here's why it bothered them. Because it convicted them. All the things that Jesus said expose the way in which we live sinful lives. And so they turned from him. They shunned him. Instead of being drawn to Jesus, instead of following Jesus, they reject him. John chapter 12, verse 37 says, though he had done so many signs before them. So Jesus is doing things before them. He's living all of his life before them. It says, they still did not believe in him, so that the words spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us, and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? See, Jesus was not the Savior they were expecting. He was unimpressive. John Oswald says, Jesus' splendor is not on the surface. And though those who have no inclination to look beyond the surface will never see him, much less pay any attention to him. The people paid no attention to Jesus because they were just looking on the surface. See, what verse 2 in Isaiah 53 does is it exposes how shallow we are. It exposes that Human beings are shallow, that we often judge by appearance. See, Isaiah predicts that the people would despise him, that they would esteem him not. That word despised means to consider something to be worthless, to be unworthy of attention. The word esteemed is an accounting term. It means to calculate the value of something or someone. When the people looked at Jesus, when they looked at his birth, when they looked at his life, when they looked at his appearance, their calculation of, zero, of Jesus was zero. They thought he was a zero, that Jesus was a loser. And that's why when Pilate asked in Matthew 27, verse 22, what should I do with Jesus? He asked the people, he says, he's done nothing wrong. But what should I do with Jesus? What should I do with this man that you have brought to me? And the people yelled, let him be crucified. They yelled that because they thought Jesus was only worthy of death. They despised Jesus because they didn't think he had any significance to their lives. The people in Jesus' day rejected him because he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. The people in our day reject Jesus because we don't think we need a Messiah. So many people are very convinced that somehow, some way, we are going to save ourselves, that we're just going to figure out the mess that we're in. Some people in our day don't even think that we need saving. But the reality is we do because of our sin. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world, but few people paid Attention to him. John chapter 1, verse 10 says, He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and those who were his own did not receive him. Jesus was rejected, and Isaiah said that would happen. He predicts that would happen. And here's the thing. That's all that would keep happening unless God steps in. 
unless God does something, all we would do is continue to reject Jesus. But the reality is, God has stepped in. And you're like, how do you know, Marv? This room. This room speaks to that fact. That there are people in this room and your eyes have been opened by God. If you're here today and you're a Christian, God has shown you grace. He has opened your eyes to stop you from rejecting his son. And maybe you're sitting there right now and you're thinking, I know this. Marv, you're, you know, you're, maybe you're new to this Christianity thing. I've been at it a, long, a longer time than you. I'm a little bit older. I get it. I drove all the way here and I'm sitting in these chairs for you to tell me that. I know this. Yes. But are you humbled by it? Do you delight in it? That God in his grace would open your eyes and cause you to turn to his son. Does that bring you to a spot where you're just thankful and grateful that God would choose you to show you grace? And maybe you're here today and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ. When you look at your life, you know, I'm not trusting Jesus for my salvation. I haven't turned to him. I'm rejecting Jesus. Then my word to you is you need to ask God. You need to ask God to open your eyes, to show you the beauty of Jesus, to see all that Jesus has done for us so that you would stop rejecting the Savior that you need, so that you wouldn't be like those people who saw him before their eyes and rejected him. Ask God to open your eyes so you would turn. So the people rejected Jesus uh, not just because of the, his appearance. They, they turned from him also because he was a man of sorrow, we're told, that he was acquainted with grief. But verse 4 tells us why he had sorrow and why he knew grief so well. And this is the first thing God wants to show us. God opens our eyes to show us why Jesus was wounded. He opens our eyes, this is point number two, to show us why Jesus was wounded. Verse 4 says, Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed." And so Jesus is described here as someone who's full of sorrow, who's full of grief, but the text tells us that they're not his, that, that it's ours. It's our sorrow, it's our grief that he's carrying. All the sorrow and grief that comes into our life from our sin is on Jesus. See, our sinful pursuit of fame, our sinful pursuit of money, our sinful pursuit of comfort and ease, our sinful pursuit of pleasure, these false idols, they don't bring us joy. We run after them because we think they're going to bring us joy, that if I get this, that I'm going to be happy. But they don't bring us joy. What they bring is disappointment. They bring pain. They bring regret. They bring grief. That's why Psalm 16, verse 4 says, The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. 
when we chase these false idols, when we chase these things that we think are going to make us happy, it says that they actually multiply our sorrow, that they bring grief into our lives. See, sin always causes grief and sorrow, whether our sin or the sins of others. But Isaiah says that Jesus, that he would come, that Jesus would leave heaven and that he would take all of our sorrow and our grief. He would take it on himself. He takes all our brokenness caused by our sin. He takes all our shame caused by our sin. He takes all our guilt caused by our sin. All of this he takes on himself. It says that he carried these things, which speaks of his substitution. See, that's how much Jesus cares for us. And no one in your life can care for you like this. But this is how much Jesus cares for us, that he sees Marv in his mess. And he doesn't just leave me there in the mess. He doesn't just leave you there in the mess. What Jesus does is he leaves heaven. He leaves everything. He gives it all up in order to come and take it all on himself. See, if you're here today and you're filled with grief and sorrow caused by your sin, and you look at your life and you're like, I'm not living for the Lord. But there's nothing but pain and sorrow. When I'm honest with myself, there's not joy. Then you need to turn to Jesus. You need to place your faith in the one who can forgive you. The one who can take your grief. Who can take your sorrow. The one who's willing to take it because he can carry it. You need to turn to him, ask for his forgiveness, because when you do that, he takes the grief, he takes the pain, and he replaces that with the joy of salvation. And all you need to do is put your faith and your trust in him. And here are a couple words in the passage, some more important words that we shouldn't miss. The word pierced. The word pierced reminds us of the nails that went through his hands and feet. The word crushed reminds us that Jesus was abandoned by everyone, that he was falsely accused, that he was beaten, that he was mocked, that he was spat on, that Jesus experienced the full wrath of God in our place, and that this was a crushing experience for our Savior. That word wounds summarizes the pain that Jesus experienced in his body. And it and it explains the pain that he experienced going through this all by himself. And as Jesus was going through this, as Jesus is experiencing this, Isaiah predicts that the people who are watching, that they would misunderstand what's happening. That they would actually miss what was taking place on the cross. The Isaiah says that they would look on him and think that he was being smitten by God. When the people are standing and watching what is happening on the cross, they think that Jesus is being punished for his sins. But here's the thing. Jesus has committed no sin. Jesus is the only one who's ever walked the earth and has never sinned against his father. Hebrews 4 verse 15 says... He has been tempted as we are. Every temptation that we experience, 
Jesus has experienced that. But he has never sinned. It says he has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. See, Jesus is on the cross for our transgressions, for our iniquity. It's right there in verse 5. It says, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The one without sin, hanging on the cross, hanging there as if he had sinned, hanging there for you and for me. The band Coldplay has this song. It's called In My Place. And multiple times in that song, the lead singer sings the lyric, in my place, in my place, in my place. And that's exactly the phrase that should be going through our minds as we think about Jesus on the cross, as we hear Isaiah explain what he would experience, that Jesus was there as our substitute, that he died in our place, that he made forgiveness possible. Jesus experienced the pain so that we could experience peace. You're like, peace with who? Peace with God. Because in going through what he went through, Jesus made it possible for us to enter back into a relationship with our Father, the one who we walked away from. Jesus knows the punishment. We know the peace. And God shows us very clearly here in this verse that Jesus was wounded because of our sin. And those wounds, they heal us. See it there at the end of verse 5, it says, with his wounds, we are healed. Now the fact that we need to be healed should tell us something's wrong with us. The fact that the Bible says that we are healed tells us that something's wrong with us. Now you might be sitting there and you're thinking, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm fine. And for 25 years of my life, I would have said the same thing. When I looked at the way that I was living and the things that I was doing, I, was, I would have said, it's all fine. It's all good. I'm good. There's nothing wrong with me. But verse 6 tells us otherwise. Verse 6 tells us that there's something wrong with all of humanity. It says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned Everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. That's what's wrong with us. We have turned from God. We trust ourselves. See, we don't want anyone to tell us what to do. We don't want anyone to call our choices into question. We don't want anyone to walk up to us and say, the way that you're living your life might actually need to change. We don't want that. We don't want to be told what to do by God. We want to live life on our own terms. We want to do our own thing. See, we want to sing with Frank Sinatra, I did it my way. We trust ourselves. This is us outside of faith in Jesus Christ. And we do this because our first parents did this. We do this because Adam and Eve, that, this is what they did. God says, here's the way to live your life. Trust me, don't trust yourself. And they said, no. They decided that they were going to try and be God. 
they decided that they were going to trust themselves. And as you go through and read the Bible, you see it over and over and over. People who think, I'm going to trust myself. I'm not going to trust God. I'm going to try to be God. And ever since Adam and Eve have done that, every single person who comes on earth, that is what we do. We try to be God. We trust ourselves. We turn to our own way. And this is what we need to be healed from. And this is the third and final thing that the Lord shows us. God opens our eyes to show us why we need healing. Point number three, it says, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. We're we're compared here to sheep who go astray, sheep who get lost. And so what this tells us is that when we turn from God, we actually don't know where we're going. We don't know what we're doing. And what that tells me is when I turn from God, I'm in danger. And that if I don't turn, there's nothing good coming to me. That I'm actually in trouble. That I will live a sinful and twisted life. That we will take the wrong path. The word iniquity means to deliberately choose a crooked way. Iniquity means to choose a crooked path. See, and I've said this before. You and I don't fall into sin. Right? Sin is not a pothole that pops up on us. We choose to sin. We deliberately turn from God. We deliberately choose a crooked path. And notice here that the word all opens and closes verse 6. It says all we like sheep. And then it says the iniquity of us all. Isaiah wants us to know that it's not just a few people. Who do this? He's making it very clear, just in case there's any doubt in someone's mind. All people do this. And all the mess and the sin in our lives from choosing this crooked path, look where it goes. It says, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. It goes on to Jesus. And notice here that it's God that does this. That God is the one who lays, he lays the iniquity on Jesus. See, Christianity is not about what you do for God. It's about what God does for you. It's not about what we do for God. It's what he does for us, that God steps in, that he is the one who moves to deal with our sins. He is the one who sends his son. And his son willingly goes to the cross. Jesus is on the cross, was on the cross, willingly, to pay our debt. All our sin was laid on him. See, although Jesus had never taken the crooked path, although Jesus had never turned his back on his father, he's hanging on the cross as if he did, hanging there to save rebels, to save you, and to save me, because we needed healing. We needed healing and we needed forgiveness for our sinful independence. That's what's wrong. We need to be healed from our sinful independence, that trusting ourselves. And Jesus does what is necessary to make all of this happen. He submits to his Father's will and plan in order 
to save us. And the moment, the moment we confess our sin, the moment we do that, the moment we turn and ask for forgiveness, in that moment when you did that, the healing started. We started to be healed. And here's what it looks like. First Peter. First Peter 2, verse 24 to 25 says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Why? For you were straying like sheep, but now have returned to the shepherd and the overseer of your soul. We're healed because we come back to our Father. We go from this life of independence, sinful independence, to this life of dependence on our Father when we trust God. But you and I can't take credit for any of this. It's God who spoke to your heart. It's God who opens your eyes and causes you and me to turn to him. He called us. He rescued us in order to heal us. And here's something that I love about God. When God does something, he does it fully and completely. God is not like that person who starts a bunch of books but never finishes them or starts some jobs around the house that they never really get back to wrapping up. See, when God starts something, he finishes it. That's why it says, he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. God finishes what he starts. And so when he heals us, it's a comprehensive healing. And here are some ways that he heals us. He heals us spiritually. When we place our faith in Jesus Christ for what he has done for us on the cross, when we believe the gospel, God heals us spiritually. And he does this by giving us a new heart. And in giving us a new heart, this heart now wants to follow God. This heart is dependent on its heavenly father. A heart that wants to do what God says and a heart that can do what God says as we submit to his spirit every single day. And then he heals us legally. We get complete and full forgiveness. Our record is wiped clean. God fixes our broken record so he heals us legally. And then he heals us emotionally. God heals us emotionally. We no longer go about living our lives full of fear and anxiety because we know that we can turn to God in prayer. See, one of the things that the cross accomplishes is that Jesus gives us access back to our Father. And the book of Hebrews says that we can go to the throne of grace to find help and mercy. Love it. In a time of need. And so we are not full of anxiety. We're not just being led around by our emotions because we know we can go to our Father in prayer. We are dependent on him so we're healed spiritually, legally, emotionally, and physically. He heals us physically. He promises one day. Now, some people will tell you that you're always going to get healed now. And that might be true for some people, but it's not true for everyone. But here's what's true for everyone. That there is coming a day that I'm going to get, and you're going to get, if you're trusting in Christ, a new body. 
The Bible says that when we see Jesus, this is a doctrine of glorification, that we will be made like him, that we will be fully healed physically as we place our faith in him. And all of this happens because of God. It's all God. God is the one who calls Isaiah and has him write down this prophecy. Then God is the one who sends his son to fulfill this prophecy. And then God is the one who opens our eyes to see all that Jesus has done on the cross. God is the one that opens our eyes to see that Jesus paid it all. And he opens our eyes to this to stop us from rejecting his son, the humble savior that we need. He does this to show us that it was our sin that caused Jesus to be wounded. He does this to show us that Jesus is the one who can heal us when we turn to him. Jesus paid it all. And God in his grace opens our eyes to this reality. And we should never stop being thankful to him that he has done this for us. And something that helps us to continue to be thankful to God for all that he has done is communion. Communion helps us to to be thankful because the symbols in communion remind us of all that Jesus did on that Good Friday. The bread. The bread reminds us that Jesus gave his body for us. The juice reminds us that Jesus' blood was shed for our sins. So it gives us a chance to pause and to reflect and to be thankful. Now the Bible always encourages us to examine ourselves before we take communion, to take a moment and to reflect to look at our lives to see, is there anything that I need to confess to the Lord? And to also look at our lives and to, and to see, am I in a good place with people in my life? Am I in a good place relationally with those around me? And in a moment, we're going to do that. While the ushers pass out the, the trays and, and the worship team sings a song, we're going to take a moment to reflect. But if you're here today and you're not a Christian, you haven't trusted in Jesus for your salvation. We want you to know that we love you very much and that we're very thankful that you're here with us. But we would ask that you would let the trays pass. Communion is for believers, those who have placed their faith in Christ. But if you have questions about what you've heard today, if you want to talk to someone, we'd love to talk to you after the service. So please come on up if you do. And so we're going to pause now just to take some time to do that reflecting. Let's do that. This has been an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel in Brampton, Ontario. For more information about our church or to contact us, please visit harvestbrampton.ca.